Hello, Let's Run Nation, and this NYRR Milrose Games Preview Edition of Track Talk. We've got a world record attempt in the mile by Yomi Kajelka, and maybe even Clayton Murphy too. We've got American record attempts at 800 meters by Ajay Wilson and Donovan Brazier. And then, in the final 45 minutes, we are joined by American Distance Project coach Scott Simmons, whose athletes went 1, 2, 3, 4, Five at this past weekend's USA Cross Country Champs. Scott talks about his team's success, his journey to the top of the coaching ranks, the American dream, genetics, doping in Kenya, and more. This edition of Track Talk is brought to you by Floyds of Leadville. More and more runners are turning to CBD products for recovery. Go to floydsofleadville.com and use code Let's Run Feb 10, the number 10, to save 10% off. That's floydsofleadville.com and use code Let's Run Feb 10 to save 10%. All right, let's get this thing started. Welcome, everyone, to the fourth straight week of Let's Run.com's Track Talk. We're building quite the dynasty here, just like the New England Patriots. This is Let's Run.com co founder Weldon Johnson with fellow founder Robert Johnson and hopefully Jonathan Galt. Jonathan, are you back from the Super Bowl? Yep. Went to Atlanta, saw my Patriots win a strange game, but you know they could have won two nothing. I would have been perfectly fine with that. Six titles in eighteen years, it, and it was my birthday as well. So really, uh, couldn't have gone any better for me on Sunday. See my team win the Super Bowl in person on my birthday. I mean, how do you top that? Flaunting that white privilege to watch that the stable of New England Patriots dominate the NFL yet again. Congratulations, John. This Thank is you, Robert, Robert. Johnson, the co-founder. Inside joke there, folks. If you've been reading the message board, we'll skip over what we're talking about, but uh, go to it. But what a week last week, and what a week coming forward. Yes, this is a special NYRR Milrose Games edition of Track Talk. We'll be breaking down everything at Milrose. We've got a wonderful world record attempt in the men's mile by Yomif Kajalka, and he's not a sure thing to win the race. And then we have possible, well, we have American record attempts in the men's and women's 800 and the rest of the great action that you have in Milrose. Plus, we are joined by the greatest men's distance coach in America right now, Scott Simmons, whose men went one, two, three, four, five at last weekend's USA Cross Country Championships. So it's quite the show. We got to get going. Can, can I put an asterisk? I mean, we're, we're joined every week by the greatest men's distance coach in America every week by yours truly. Eight Ivy League championships and 10, I mean, excuse me, 13 Ivy League championships in 10 years at Cornell University. But the best current, since I'm currently on sabbatical paternity leave, is Scott Simmons. I don't think you ever won a cross country title. Scott wins cross country titles for breakfast. Guys, let's, let's, we're going to get to Milrose here in a second, but I want to start somewhere else. I want to start with the Super Bowl. And you're probably thinking, why the hell does a track and field podcast want to talk about the Super Bowl? But because Julian Edelman, MVP, drug cheat, all in the same year. I mean, John, you're going to know more about this than me, but Julian Edelman, Patriots wide receiver, missed the first four games because of a, of a PED suspension this year, yet he's allowed to come back and win the MVP this year. I mean, he had a great game, but one, it's not even officially announced what drug he tested positive for. There's so many problems with NFL drug testing. But if this was in, in track and field, Edelman would be likely banned for four years, not four games. Yet he's the MVP. So, I don't know. John, you're the Patriots fan. 
you're the one who actually tested us something about drug cheat this weekend. I'm curious how you view it. And I also am pleased to note that the hashtag PEDS was trending on t- Twitter right after the Super Bowl. So some people do care. We're not the only ones harping on this. Take it away, John. For some reason, John's cut out. So he, someone needs to text him to call back into the show. We've been having some technical difficulties. I'll take over. I, I was amazed. I was texting John throughout the game, trying to limit my text. Whenever there's an NFL game going on, well, then John and myself are texting back and forth. The other employees of Let's Run.com don't seem to be interested in the NFL. But, um, you know, since he was actually at the game, I didn't want to like ruin it for him. So, but after the game, he was sort of, we were congratulating him. And then he said, I, I was making stuff up because he was at the game. I was like, yeah, it's too good. You know, the only shame is you, while you won, um, Greg, you know, Rob Gronkowski retired as did Tom Brady. And John knew that was a lie. But um, he did sort of text back, you know, after the MVP award was handed out, he said, PED user. He referred to, his own star player is the PD user. So John is consistent, folks, anti-doping. But yeah, well, it is pretty interesting in the sense of, you know, and there was a column in USA Today about this, about the in the NFL, people don't really care about drugs. In baseball, it's still a big deal. I mean, Barry Bonds, A-Rod, guys like that. I mean, A-Rod's not eligible for the Hall of Fame yet, but they have never, there's never, there's never been like an admitted uh, PD user who gets into the Hall of Fame. And some people think that eventually Barry Bonds will get in. I hope not. But in the NFL, no one cares, including yours truly. I mean, I've really never cared about drugs in the NFL. Um, but I was reading the thread in Let's Run about there's a thread called like Edelman PED user today. And I didn't like the responses. People were like, well, you know, who cares if he's on PEDs? Everyone else is on PEDs. I don't think everyone in the NFL is on PEDs. I think Travis Tiger told me that the NFL drug testing policy is actually pretty good it's just that their penalties aren't any good um, but it may be that baseball's good actually so don't take that to the grave one of one of them is good he told me one of them has a very good testing seat and one doesn't but i think because it's you know team tactics are more important than absolute performance people don't care much but it's very weird to me that to me i'm waiting for a lawyer to come up with a fraud lawsuit particularly in baseball but you sue, even an owner, you sue and say, hey, I signed you this long-term contract, particularly in baseball where the contracts are guaranteed. You know, A-Rod, I'm paying you 10 years, $20 million a year because I thought you were good, but realized you defrauded me because you, you know, put up your stats on PEDs. But in football, Edelman, the weirdest thing to me is we don't even know what he tested positive for. So was it necessary? Supposedly, I read somewhere that it wasn't a drug listed in their banned drugs. So what does that mean, John? Do you have any idea? I yeah, I read a report, I think it was from Albert Breer a while ago, that it was a substance they didn't even, the NFL didn't even know what it was, that it was some some sort of new combination of substances. But I, my take on it is the NFL, part of their policy is that they don't disclose what people tested positive for. So we saw a few years ago, there are several members of the Seahawks, when their defense was taking off, they would test positive for something, and then they would say, oh, I tested positive for Adderall. Because if you tell the public, I tested positive for Adderall. They think, oh man, he's not cheating. He's just, you know, that's a drug that anyone can take. Whereas, you know, and so that's sort of became the excuse. I don't know what they actually took, but certainly they, the NFL is, doesn't have to say it. And so in the case of Edelman, he doesn't have to say what drug he took. He didn't seem to deny taking it. I think he said he made a mistake. So he's not going to come out and say, I took steroids if he doesn't have to. And that's why we don't know what it is, even though it's been months since he tested positive. 
thought I read somewhere. Now I read a lot of crap on the internet. I mean, my, my the internet is really bad for my brain. It's very creative because just go down one article to the next article to the next article. But I thought I read one time that if someone said they took Adderall when they didn't actually take Adderall, that the NFL could issue a correction to that and say this person's lying. So I don't know if that's true, but I'm pretty sure I read that. So can, can these people be trusted? Anyways, John, congratulations. We'll give you another chest, you know, another asterisk, another championship with an asterisk. I mean, we got Deflate Gate. Wasn't there some other gate too? A bounty gate, but Bounty Gate wasn't you, but. No, Spygate, Robert. We didn't win. The Patriots didn't win the Super Bowl, the Spygate year, though. Okay, so if you take away the Deflate Gate, which you shouldn't, and you take away this one because of Edelman, then that still leaves the Patriots with four. It's uh, still quite Thank a lot. You, I, I, folks, I'm a huge Patriots fan, and I'm actually wearing a new t shirt that I purchased. It arrived after the game. I was so confident. You know, I didn't want to pay for the overnight shipping. And it's a it's a picture, folks. I'm gonna make a Let's Run t-shirt just like this. It's a picture of a goat and it has a 12 in it for Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. So John, I was very, very happy. But and and, and I hear on the radio these people are like, no one was for the Patriots. I'm like, what do you mean? I was for the Patriots. But only people knew the Patriots. Everyone hates the Patriots. I don't hate the Patriots. I love the Patriots. I love dynasties. I love greatness. I love Brady. I can tell you where I was when they kicked that field goal against the Oakland Raiders in the snow. Um, I was in a Spanish bar in D.C. I was probably like 22 years old or something. But um, the thing that bothers me about the Patriots is people act like they're cheaters. Yes, Spygate was cheating, but that was a long time ago. And there was a 10-year period where they didn't win. They haven't been cheating for a long time. And they've made how many Super Bowls? What, four out of five? Is that right, John? Correct. Four of the lost five, nine hey. of the lost 18. Edel- Edelman was cheating. Edelman they cheated this they year. still are cheating, and that's the beauty of the whole drug testing thing. Ignorance is bliss. We'll never know what drug he tested positive for. Some people think it's Adderall. Who knows? He could have been like shooting steroids straight into his ass, and it would be the same reaction from the NFL. It's a complete joke. But there was other track and field news, related news, more related news from the Super Bowl. That was Usain Bolt running the 4.22 well no one really knows what the time was somehow it happens to be equal to the fastest time 40 meters by an nfl player and he's wearing them in like you know sort of casual running shoes or casual shoes and sweats and the breaking news today ladies and gentlemen usain bolt on his instagram is on a track in jamaica training it looks like maybe that's not even jamaica but he just posted a picture of himself jogging down the track is he trying to Wait, start, start the speculation of a comeback? This is amazing. This is amazing. Uh, First of all, I don't know if I've been published saying this, but John, you'll back me up because John's got a great memory. I am someone's dog's barking in the background. Anyways, I'm on record saying internally at let's run.com. The same bolt. I, I may have printed this, but John, back me up. Please tell the let's run nation. I've said always that the same bolt will come back. All of these people come back. Michael Phelps comes back. Babe Ruth, if he wasn't dead, he'd be coming back. Usain Bolt will compete again professionally in track and field. There's no doubt in my mind. John, can you back me up on this? That's, uh, I, with the conviction you're telling me with this with, I believe you. I don't specifically recall this. I know Carl Dennehy has said this many times, but Robert, I, you're a man of your word. I take your word on this one. But I hadn't thought to think about this. Could have been fabricated. Has anyone gotten out a watch? I may do it as, as we're doing the podcast. I, that was the first thing when I saw that time. I was 
thinking to myself, what is the timing system in place here? And I'm not a timing junkie. I don't know if it was hand time. I posted on Twitter. What did people think? Someone said there's no way they would hand time this thing at a you know an event like that. But really, there's no way to know. Do I think it's possible? Usain Bolt ran 4:22 in sneakers after being retired for a year and a half. Of course, he's the greatest sprinter of all time. Like it's definitely possible, but I, I don't know exactly. Is it FAT? Fully automated timing. I, who knows, folks. We have something breaking news. I've just timed it on my iPhone, watching a Twitter feed. So I don't know how accurate that is, but I have over five seconds. This may have been doctored. I I, I will look into this. It's not going to take me long, folks. I'm pretty confident. With I'm sure if it was over five seconds, all the Mike Rossi investigators would have told us by now. Folks, Robert Johnson here. I if if you cheat. I uncovered Mike Rossi busted. I think within a week I will have invalidated one of the what 25 fastest marathons in history. I don't know how fast it was. Abu Dhabi folks. I should have something for you soon. I've heard back from the race director. They're hearing back from the certifiers report. It's supposed to take one week. Now it's taken almost six, seven, eight weeks. If I don't hear something by Friday, don't worry folks. I have two friends who are in, who are in, who are at the, going to the RIK half? And if we don't hear something by the end of Friday, guess what? They're going to drive there and measure the Abu Dhabi course for no scandal. Goes unreported. Well, guys, enough football talk. Enough Abu Dhabi talk. Enough Usain Bolt talk. Let's get to the meat of the matter. The Milrose Games are Saturday, national television, NBC, from four to six p.m. Eastern. So it's one of the best, it's, you know, the best day of the indoor track and field circuit, whatever's left of the indoor track and field circuit in the United States. And it should be tremendous. Highlighted by the, as always, the Wanamaker Mile. And this year, it's going to be an extra special Wanamaker Mile because Yomif Kajoka, the Nike Oregon Project team member from Ethiopia, will be going after the world record in the mile in I think it's wonderful. He's come out in advance, said, hey, I'm going to go for it. And Coach Alberto Salazar said he's going for it. And I think he's got a really good chance. So I don't know. When you when you guys first hear world record mile, Kajoka, Milrose, what do you think? I think he's got think? a real good shot. Because if you look at the history of some of the guys who've run fast indoors, I mean, Galen Rupp ran 350 for the mile in 2013. And Edward Cheserak ran 3.49 last year. Granted, both of those were at BU, which is regarded to be slightly faster than uh, the Armory track. But those guys, you don't think Milo when you hear Galen Rupp or Edward Cheserak. And I guess you don't think Milo when you hear Yomif Kajelcha either. But this is a guy who's run way faster on the track than either of them. This He ran, what was it, 12.46 last year at uh, the Diamond League final in Brussels. Galen Rupp's run 12.58. Edward Cheserek's never run under 13 minutes. This guy has some serious wheels. He's run 3.32 for 1,500 last year. And clearly, he's really, really fit right now. You know, he ran 3.52 in Seattle, doubling back after beating Clayton Murphy in a 1K. Less than an hour later, he comes back and runs 3.52 mile, looking easy. He ran at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, runs 3.51. Again, puts three seconds on the field, over the final lap, he just looked like he wasn't even trying. So do I think he could run a few seconds faster if he's really got a good rabbiting job here and a real genuine record attempt where he's going all out from the gun? I, th- I think he's got 
I'm not going to say he's going to do it because 348 is still very fast, but we don't see that time a lot of times outdoors because sometimes you have wind or you don't have people committed to going with the pace. This guy is going for the world record. It's going to be no wind. You have the rabbit in control of it. I think he's got a good shot to break the world record, which is 348.45 by Hickam El Garouge from 1997. What do I think? First of all, I think it's amazing. I'm very excited that he's they put out a video. Congratulations, Nike Oregon Project. I've never understood why these companies spend millions of dollars in running and then they don't even bother to like send out a press release or we asked Alberto Salazar one time, hey, what are you guys gonna do this summer? And he's like, I don't want to tell you because you asked me, you know, doping questions, basically. I was like, Okay, then nobody will give a shit about what your runners are doing. So this is amazing that they're piping it up. It's one. Two, that it's at an actual real meet is amazing. Unlike Alan Webb, who ran a, an American record in the mile in front of like five people in some obscure meet that in Belgium in the middle of the night, you know, and Galen Rupp running in some like pay-per-view only event at Boston University. Like this is a legitimate meet with real competitors. So this is exciting. But the third point, what I think, I think he's definitely going to get it. This is not even a question to me. Like, well, 348 what john i need to convert this to 50 so i can make sure in my brain i understand what this is equivalent to it's 348.45 so that's a 228.45 in terms of seconds is that right i'm mean, 1.08 divided by one john colleague's formula of 1.0802 so it's a 331 only 1500 331 what 331.48 yes easily he gets it not easily. My biggest concern is, yes, the track isn't as fast. We don't need like Nike 4% shoes. If you go to BU, it's like cheating. I want to see it in a real meet. But I'm really worried about the rabbiting. Like, honestly, I'm looking at the field here. And where is it? Which tab am I on here? The rabbit's what? Rob Napolitano from uh, NJNY. Yeah, and he's run 338 for 1500. And he ran 359 this year in indoor mile PR. but. That he's not in good enough shape to be rabbit in this race. I want a rabbit to go twelve hundred meters and three. Well, good luck finding one. That's hard to do, Robert. What? That's hard to do at world record pace. Well, it's hard to do, but I'm saying put like Nick Willis as a rabbit. Give him ten grand and he'll do it. Well, no, he won't. Wouldn't. He's not going to give up his shot at the one to make a mile, which he has never won in six attempts. I mean, really. You know who the best guy to rabbit this is? You go to BU, you get Clayton Murphy to rabbit him because he's his teammate. Now, obviously, I don't know if Clayton Murphy would do that, but he is the ideal rabbit for this attempt. And speaking of Clayton Murphy, Clayton Murphy's in this race. And I oh, think if, wow. anyone, if anyone's going to beat Kajelka, it's Murphy. What do you guys think? Can Clayton Murphy go sub 350? I of think course. he can go sub 350. Why not? This guy's run 145 and back to back. He ran 145 for 800 on a flat track last weekend. He's clearly in terrific shape. He's run 351 for the mile We shouldn't be anyone else in the field. Okay, Willis, yes. He's got two Olympic medals. Nobody else even should. Cheserick. Cheserick is having like a bad indoor season. Apparently, John, he was kind of rude to you and didn't run. Like He was upset. He wasn't rude. After- he just didn't want to talk about his injury. Okay, he didn't want to tell John when he had an injury when he ran what at Mil- at Reebok, at New Balance, Boston. You're at 742 for 3K. So, 742, he was upset. That's, that's like better than most, like anyone else in this field can run. And then he runs a 355 mile on a flat track. So he's in pretty good shape. I think he's certainly in like 52 shape on a bank track. Uh, that's something that I could see like uh, uh, Craig Engels running. I mean, guys, John, 
do you want to reveal the statement that I, uh, that I said earlier in the week? Because speaking of 352, I probably should confess before it comes out. Like you probably mention it to this person because he's kind of like a, he's like the same generation as you. You guys are both in Ivy League. I'm afraid he's going to come out. So I think I should confess in national podcasting radio. Go I for know. it. I hope he's listening. Wow. So the other day, a, a buddy texted me and said, is there a list of like all time top 10 indoor miles? Like, of course there is folks. Trackandfieldnews.com. Young people. I know you may not know track and field news, but it's called the Bible of the sport. I, I've debated whether let's run should be called the Quran of the sport. We're a little bit more aggressive, but um, anyways, I'm not going <laughs> to make any more comments about that. But yes, there's a list. And I was looking at the all time indoor top 10 list. Cause I'm a subscriber to track and field news. And in the mile, I was looking at it, and admittedly, back in the day, guys, like there was like really short under tracks. People didn't run fast in the mile, so any like top ten list is probably going to be like since really almost like ninety five. Well, that's not true. Steve Scott's on there in nineteen eighty one. But anyways, I was talking to John earlier in the week, and I was looking at his list, and I said, "My God, Kyle Merber ran a three fifty two point two two mile indoor mile." I'm like, if he did that, then Kajelsa should run 345. And Kyle, I love you. When you went to the Ivy League, I was fearful as a coach at Cornell. But I just view like Kajelcha at like a whole nother level. Whole nother level. So I think there's other Americans. I mean, I I think Ingles is in really good shape. 352.22. Yeah, he could join one. That would be one, two. Merber's sixth all time. Steve Scott's fifth. Lopez and Long fourth. You know, only five Americans have ever broken 352 of the mile. So that's great. Indoors. Indoors. Correct. You know, uh, well, you know, so, but th- these other guys, someone needs to rabbit it. Napolitano is not going to be make it, make it 1200 meters. So we're record attempt. You know, I, I feel like you really need someone to go the, as far as possible. So Sam Preco, Riley Masters, Josh Kerr. Wow. Wisconsin's Ellie Hoare's in there. Good for him. Good to see a college guy in there. NCAA Wisconsin's champion. Hoare. I mean, these guys. But Murphy. Yeah. No, I, 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 I spoke to Ingles at Milrose, and essentially afterwards, he's like, yeah, you know, I think I can get close to 350 mile, and if you can get three, close to 350, it's not that far off from the world record, so you might as well think about it. Right. So, so if he's running that, think about how much faster Kajels is going to go. And Murphy is really interesting. I mean, guys, remember last year, Murphy – he ran 143 flat at the end of out, you know, in the middle of the outdoor season. So he ended up having a good year. He ran 145.9 this past weekend at the JDL Elite Fast Track Meet. It's a f- world record or fastest time ever for 800 on a flat track. So you'd have to think if he ran the 800, you know, as a race, that he could challenge the American record. Instead, he's in the Wanamaker Mile. And you got to figure that's for a reason. Either he thinks he can win it. I really doubt they would want to have him rabbit Ingles, but maybe the team is that tight. But I assume he's in the race to try to race. He's not going to rabbit Ingles. Excuse me, Kajelka. But, you know, there's three NLP guys in Jezrick who all, I think, could challenge the 350. I mean, Jezrick's gone sub-350 before indoors. This year he doesn't look quite as fit, but wouldn't rule anything out of that guy. I mean, if anyone could improve from 355 to 350 in one week, it would be him. And 355 was not a non-bank track so it's going to be a great one and it's you know it's a great way to sort of i don't know it's just what makes Milrose so great great way to end, end the broadcast shall we move to 
the you mentioned the 800 with uh, what Murphy could do in that race. I think it's still going to be a good race because we've got his NOP teammate Donovan Brazier is in there. Brazier, his last four indoor 800 finals, he's run 145 in all of them. Uh, he's run 145.10 and 145.11 in two of those races. That was the last year, and then he's run 145.9 earlier this year. The American record is 145.00 by Johnny Gray. Simple question, guys. And he's racing Michael Saruni, the NCAA indoor champion from Texas uh, UTEP last year, and he also has the NCAA outdoor record, though he did not win NCAA outdoors last spring. He ran 145.15 indoors last year, so he's obviously a very good runner if he's in shape. This is his first race for a long time, so we don't quite know. Simple question, guys. Does Donovan Brasher get the American record in the men's 800? Simple answer, yes. I agree. It's like when we wrote the USATF Women's Cross Country Preview, when when I read it, John wrote most of it, and then I edited it, and he predicted Molly Huddle to win. And I immediately called up Weldon. I said, do you agree with this? Of course, Shelby Hulan's going to win this. And then we had a conference call with John, and I went off of my gut instinct. It's like the SAT. When you don't know, go with your gut instinct. So I agree with Weldon. We're going to see a 144.88 record. And he may not even be the best guy in his team right now. There's not a lot of margin for error there, Robert. The one question I have is, is he going to be okay leading this whole thing if he has to? We've got Russell Dinkins in as a pacer. I think Donovan actually, the fact that there's a pacemaker in this race makes me feel better about his chances because he's at his best when he can sit in, off the, right off the shoulder of the leader and then just explode. And I think if Dinkins can take him through about 500 or you know, ideally 600, who knows, if he can just do that and then explode the last lap, I think he's got a very good chance of running in the 144s. Princeton alumni, Russell Dinkins, John, please, whenever there's a Princeton runner or Princeton alumni like Gurley, please mention it before you. Yeah, I think with the rabbit and stuff, um, Brazier can get can get the record. I mean, he ran, what, 145-1 last year, is that correct? He really did that twice. And 135 as well. So. And the record's 145-0-0, so... Yeah. I think Johnny Gray's, what is it? Oh, not quite 27-year-old record will fall. And then turning to the women's 800 meters, Ajay Wilson going after the American record. What do you think she does there? I I think she gets it as well because the American record, so there's a lot of complicating factors here because the American record is officially Nicole T does 158.71 from 2002. If you remember two years ago at Milrose, RJ Wilson ran 158.27, which was faster than the American record, but it wasn't ratified because she tested positive for Xeranol in her drug test. It came out, they gave her a no-fault finding, so she wasn't penalized, but the result didn't count. Shelly Lipsy, her training partner, also ran faster than Tita's American record in that race, but she didn't take a drug test. She didn't think she had to because she got second. She didn't get the American record. Wilson did, right? Wrong. So Lipsy didn't get a drug test. That wasn't certified. So the mark that Wilson is shooting for is 158.71. She ran 159.26 on the 200-meter flat track last week at Camel City. That is the fastest time ever on a 200-meter flat track. I think it's not much of a stretch to say that Wilson could shave off half a second from a flat track to a banked track with a rabbit at the armory. I think she gets this record and wins this race handily. One, I 100% agree with you, John. 100%. I, get, I mean, 
She's yeah, way I'm sort of shocked that the record's in the 158s. I think, she's way better I think than she might run in the 157s. She's way better than Charlene Lipsy. She's way better. I mean, it's not even close. You know, I, I think one thing we missed on, on our previews last week is we said that we shouldn't have been concerned that um, her teammate, you know, had run significantly slower 600 meters. But AG is a step above everyone else in the U.S. I mean, it's not really debatable. Occasionally, somebody gets close to her in a race, but she's so consistent. So she's been running, you know, really fantastic. That 159.2 on a flat track, 125 in the 600 at the end of January in the armory. So I, I agree. So I think it's going to be a fantastic meet. So we're going to have an American record in the 800. We're going to have a world record in the men's mile. Maybe Ameri- another American record in the men's 800. I mean, what else do we have? I, I, there's got to be some even other good meets. I mean, there's, I there's a good 3K we get to in a second. Just one thing before we dismiss the women's 800 completely. Uh, the best threat to Wilson in that race is not actually American. It's the Jamaican, Natoya Gould. She's a former NCAA champion at Clemson and LSU. She's run 126 and three, 237 for 601K earlier this year. She won both those races. She ran 156.15 last year outdoors. I think she has she has the best shot of anyone to beat Wilson. I don't think she's better than Wilson, but she ran her pretty close in the Diamond League a couple times last year. I think it's going to be interesting to see how fast she could go. Is Goldback training? Who's she training with right now? I believe she's still with her college coach, who is the coach at Clemson. Uh, I'm not entirely sure on his name, though. She's running 126.3 for 600 this year, 237,000, which isn't for someone of that ability. But yeah, I was. It was great to see her really sort of. You see, it bothers me when I see like college stars like a Robert, Robert Cheseret or. Um, Steeplechase guy that won everything at UTEP. My name is going out right now, but you know when they aren't great as pros. So you know, goal really. She ran one. Here's her times from 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17. 159, two flat. 159, 159, two flat. You're like God. She stagnated last year. 156.15. I mean, that is such a huge jump. So it's it's good to see her in the mix and. Um, yeah, I think it's going to lead to American record in that race. Yeah, I asked her at the Norm Sander meet, you know, how she got so much better last year. She just sort of made it sound like it's a huge jump, as you said. She just made it sound like, you know, she started focusing on all the things that she should be doing to be a you know full-time professional. So, yeah, if anyone can challenge Ajay, it's her. So it should be a good one. But the American record's going down. I guess the question is who wins the race. It, RJ. Yeah, it's it's Wilson. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one should better against her, I agree. Um, there's also, you know, some of the stuff they're talking about is whether Caitlin Tui can break the high school record in the mile. And the Let's Run book, the mile high school record is 424 by Mary Kane. That's what she ran her senior year, but she was a professional there. So, like, track and field news doesn't recognize that as a record. They recognize 428 that she ran, I think, the year before as the record. Both those times are quite a stretch for her. I think Tui's best was 413 last year. So 433. You know, the, oh, the I'm converting, yeah, excuse me, 433. Yeah. And add 20 for a mile conversion. The what? You know, it's 413, but add 20 seconds for the 1500 mile Yeah, was, I was... It's quoting fifteen hundred meter times for some reason. Oh, okay, she ran a four thirty three full mile, is what I was saying outdoors. Yeah, I was taking off twenty seconds. Okay, you know, Alexa Everson's run 
I mean, Kane, Kane's run, God, 424. It's crazy. Averson's run 432. And, you know, Tui's best is 433. Tui's 50 handmade pairs 414, or Miley's 433. No, she's not going to get the record. First of all, Kane has a record. I don't give a shit whether you're pro, whether you're amateur, that that predates to another age. I, I do. It's weird. For college, I do. If you're running in the NCAA system and have not signed a pro contract, then I pay. That's to me is the NCAA record. But for high schoolers, I don't care whether you're pro, college, or whatever. I care that you're of the normal age of a high schooler. That's why I don't think Edward Cheserick should have any of the. First of all, he wasn't an American citizen, so I don't think he should have any of the American records because I feel like he was. He's admittedly older than what you should have been for a high school senior, if not if that's not even a doctored age. So anything he ran his senior year of track should not count for an American high school record. But Mary Kane, I don't care whether she's pro, whether she's running on the Robert Johnson track club, whether it's the Alberto Salazar track club, whether it's the Phil Knight track club, the Jonathan Galt, New England Patriots track club. It doesn't matter. If she's in high school and attending classes and an American citizen, she deserves the American high school record. So no way. Zero chance that she gets that. Yeah, I mean that's not really a debate. She, I mean, remember, I think the bigger question is, does she win this race? I mean, she was only no race the high school mile last year. I admittedly she had a bad day, but that's what happens. Sometimes high schoolers have a bad day. I think the is, does she win the race, and does she? How much you know? Does she break her four thirty three PR from outdoors? How fast does she run? I think those are the questions. Oh, I apologize. I was thinking she was in the pro race. She's running the high school race, right? Yeah. No. She was in the high school race last year. First of all, come on, Caitlin, run the pro race. I mean, she's never won the high school race at Melrose, so I, I don't have a problem with her doing it. She raced the pros two yeah. weeks ago. Well, we North. should have an interview by up later in the week with Caitlin. John, you're going to be talking to her, right, soon? That's right. Yeah, I'm talking to her on Thursday morning. Very good. So we can ask her these types of questions. I do think her parents are doing a nice job trying to take the pressure off of her. But um, one John, one question I want John to ask her. So here we go, folks. I can put it on the record. Then John has to ask her: Is if I was coaching her, I would not be running indoor track right now. No chance. I feel like when I started coaching in college, I thought, "Oh my god, I have to coach indoor track." Now, as a fan, I love indoor track. I think it's better than outdoor track. There's the weather's perfect. A small crowd looks like it's large. They can make a lot of noise, etc. But as a coach, I feel like you should have two peaks a season, and they need to be six months apart. You know, so I feel like cross country and outdoor track. So if I was Caitlin and her coach, I would want to be running base right now, just running distance, tempos, etc. I would run the U.S. junior cross country meet last weekend. I wish she would have easily made the team. And then I would be going to Copenhagen. If you're a high schooler, wouldn't you love to go to Denmark at the end of March? And then you can do your track season. So she would build her base. She would have no pressure because there'd be no time. Admittedly, her high school team may suck at whatever they were trying to do. So maybe you let her run like whatever they need to do to get the state meet in New York State or whatever. But I would be running these meets. That would take less pressure. And you get an yeah, experience. I mean, I understand the sentiment, but she's a high school kid. There's something to be said for being on the team doing what the other kids are doing. If she well, could have mixed said, those I things. I run the meets that she needs right. to, to get the state meet. I said. It's I, true. Yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, she but, can win the state easily. I agree. I mean, Man, she, she basically was racing like within three or four weeks of running the NXN meet. And I'm like, and I don't want to critical. I feel like they're doing a good job, but I'm like, I would need two weeks off and then like several, like at least weeks of base before I start racing again. And she's running a race within a month. So that's just me. If I was coaching her, 
but um, you know, maybe she wants to do it. And you know, my child is one month, one year old, so I don't know what it's like to to try to parent a 16, 17 year old. So, yeah, well, I mean, I think she's a New Yorker. New Yorkers run indoor track. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a big problem in doing it. I think it'd be cool if she ran cross country. But I, I think her coach Brian Diglio has been doing a good job with handling her and managing expectations and not putting too much on her plate. If she wants to do indoor track. I think that's fine. Run at the Melrose Games, try to win the high school mile. That's a, that's a cool thing for a kid to do. Uh, let's move on to the men's 3,000, I think, is probably the next most interesting race on the docket. You've got what I think is the most interesting storyline of this race is you have the last three NCAA cross-country champions in it, and that's Morgan McDonald of Wisconsin, Justin Knight, who is now a pro with the Reebok Boston Track Club, and Pat Tiernan, who is running for Nike, and he's the 2016 NCAA champion at Villanova. Uh, we've also got Grant Fisher in the field, which should be pretty exciting. Who do you guys got in this? And Ben Flanagan, uh, who is the 2018 NCAA 10K champion on the track last, uh, this past season. He's run 748 already indoors this year. Patrick Tiernan's run 748 on a flat track last week at Camel City. Who you guys got in this race? Well, this I'm is going with Tiernan. I don't know. What's, I mean, what's McDonald run this year? I don't think he's run. done any indoor races since cross. He might have done something low-key, but nothing super fast. I, haven't, I, haven't, I just looked him up on TFR. tried to look him up on TFR. I didn't see anything. And I don't think Grant Fisher has run, has he? Not to my knowledge. Goddamn TFRs. They keep giving me Grant Fisher from Colorado State. He ran a DMR, 929. No, this isn't even debatable. Patrick Turner ran 748 on a flat track last weekend. He for, yeah, he's he's going to take gonna, it. I mean, John, what, I mean, what we're excited about this race for. He's going to win it. Um, Tiernan's not a big kicker, though. Fish, Fish um, has got a kick. McDonald's got a kick. That's true. Even Ben Flanagan in that 10K has got a kick. Tiernan is going to have to string this I mean, thing out, I think. Tiernan's a very tall guy, so I feel like indoor track isn't the thing. Um, Justin Knight ran a terrible mile a couple weeks ago. I mean, that, it really, I, I, I love Justin and I love Chris Fox, but that was like embarrassing. Like he'd never run a mile over under four, over four minutes in his life. And he runs four or three as a pro. Like I was debating that. Like, was he sick? I mean, you can be sick. I mean, you're you know, entitled to bad you know, race, but it, it's unlikely he bounces back to win this one. He wasn't can we change, sick. Can we change the name of the Reebok track club from Reebok Boston track club to Virginia track club? Like do John, have you ever seen the guys in Boston? Do they live in Boston? I'm pretty sure they all live in Virginia. Uh, I saw it. Fun fact, actually, uh, I was hanging out after the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix last week, had a very late night, and Justin Knight had a very early morning. So I was coming down the hotel elevator, and we were in the same elevator. It was about four in the morning. He had a flight to catch. So I did technically see him in Boston, uh, and he was catching a flight out of Boston. He he, he was heading out. What were you doing in a hotel? Don't you live in Boston, John? What was that? Hmm. Sorry, you broke up there for a second. Very wait, interesting. I'm confused about this too. John, wait, John, John, John don't you live in Boston? Boston? What were you doing in a hotel late at night? Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're getting some suspicious. Uh, no, actually, I dumped my stuff at uh, Carl Dennehy's room. I had been hanging out with him for a while, and I had to go up to his room to retrieve it because I didn't want to go all the way back to my apartment. Don't get any crazy ideas, guys. It ladies, wasn't sorry. Uh, if if ladies, any human resource ladies. people are listening, you know, um, ladies, I. I are inappropriate questions to John. I don't know what it's like to be acceptable. a boss, but it appears Jonathan Gold is still single. I try not to get into his personal life, but if you're interested in dating him, please shoot me an email at robert at let's run.com and I can try to. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about dating people who would 
respond to a podcast by emailing my boss and declaring their intentions. We can make a movie out and make money. Anyway, Ben Flanagan did run 748.80 on a bank track. Yeah, he ran that at the first Armory meet. Yeah. And now this is sad. Another confession. And the reason why the confessions are coming. That was a huge PR. Yes. That guy's on fire. I realize halfway through this podcast, I've had like a beer and a half, but the beer that I'm drinking is called Dundalk Calling. It's a, I didn't realize this. It's an 8% alcohol beer. So in my age, you have a beer and a half. That's like four beers, right? Like that's at 8%. I mean, that's kind of like four light beers, which is a lot for me. I'm not trying to condone alcohol uses. Take it to two drinks or less, people. Anyways, I I turned on like the, I guess it was the Runner Space USATF Plus like broadcast of that meet when um, Ben Flanagan was running the 3000 because I was trying to watch. Who else was in that meet, John? There was another race before that. Anyways. Robbie Andrews. There was a 1K with Andrews and Engels. Yeah, maybe that's what I was trying to watch. And I turn it on. And there's like the 3000 was going on. I didn't know what race it was. Oh, I realized it was a 3000 because the clock was like, and I looked at it and I didn't instantly recognize everybody. And I thought, wow, these people don't look that fast to me. And then I felt bad because the bell rang and I, I did the math in my head. I'm like, well, God, they're going to break like 750. And then Flanagan won it um, convincingly. And he had an amazing kick and he won the NCAA 10K. So, but I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm like just not used to seeing a white Canadian dude at the front of a race, but I like judged it. I was like, that's not that impressive. And the time was good, but that's why I'm picking Chernin for this race. <laughs> well, he'll he'll get a test this weekend. This field will give him a bigger bigger test. I think you got some good, co- very good college guys. You got Tiernan in there. Here's this the one should be pretty you. fun. Who has the best? Don't cheat. Three thousand PR in the field by a huge margin. I need to look at the field here. I'm trying not to cheat. Justin Knight. Incorrect. That's what I would go with. I don't even see Justin Knight on this mile. What's, I don't know what Knight's PR Oh, is. he may have pulled out. He's no longer listed on the entry list. He was entered initially, but he's not on the Meet website anymore. Yeah. So it would have been it would have been Justin Knight. They're following my coaching advice. Folks, coaches, sometimes when, you, when you're obsessed with like an individual person, it's hard to see the forest and the trees or whatever. I can see the big picture. Good call there. He didn't run well in a mile. He should not be in this race. Kamoy Campbell has run 740.79. The next best guy is 748. So I think he ran that 740 when he was training under Mark Coogan, right? Former Dartmouth. Coogan. Right. But he's the he's the pacemaker, Robert. Oh, well. So I guess he's not going to win it. Well, you never know, John. Pacemaker could win it. Then, then we go to 748. All right. Let me mention any other women's races. The women's 3K. Emma Coburn, Aisha Pratlier, Ellie Perrier. There's a few other people. This is good. I thought New Balance women weren't allowed to run more than one race. It's a joke, but very exciting. Coburn ran USA Indoors last year. She almost made the World Indoor team. I thought it was, you know, she's given it a go the last couple of years. I respect that. Even though this year she's sort of been banged up. She said she had a foot injury. She's not training 100%. The world champion in the steeplechase almost made a U.S. Indoor team. Like, who did she lose to? She should make a U.S. Indoor team. Well, she lost to Shelby Houlihan. Actually, yeah, Houlihan. I think that's acceptable to get beat by Shelby Houlihan. And Colleen Quigley, who is good, but... Yeah, I I don't know. Those are the two people who beat her. And it's good to see Quigley. Will oh, be sorry, in no, no, it was Katie Mackey. Mile. It wasn't Colleen Quigley. I'm sorry, pardon me. It was uh, it was Katie Mackey beat her out. 
Okay, so we got the Wanamaker Woman's Mile, which I don't like them calling it a Wanamaker Woman's Mile. I don't know. Again, I'm going to get emails about this. The Wanamaker Mile was always the men's mile. It was just the women's competition. But then get a new sponsor for it. I mean, I don't know. It seems weird to me. But Kate Grace is in it. Quigley, Corey McGee, Katie Mackey. But I have my winner. Who do you have winning it, guys? Well, I know you're picking Klosterhelfen, Constanza Klosterhelfen of uh, Germany in the Nike Oregon Project, right, Robert? Correct. Folks, I obsess over any foreign runner that moves to America to run for Alberto Salazar, whether it's Mofera, Yomif Kajelcha, or Constance Klosterhelfen. The Germany's version, didn't we used to call her Germany's version of the Mary Kane, but now she's like just significantly better than Mary Kane? Yeah. She showed her fitness at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix, winning the 5,000 easily. And these other women, I mean, I don't think they've really run much. I mean, the fastest, well, Corey McGee's run 428 this year. But that shouldn't be a problem for, for Costa Haven. I, I don't see how she loses this race. I, will, I mean, Kate Grace and Colleen Quigley are both pretty good runners. Like, Kate Grace was an Olympic finalist for the 800 meters. She, she's got some wheels. Colleen Quigley... Not a bad 1,500-meter runner at all. She's run 403 last year outdoors. Kloster Halfen's run 358. If she's at her best, she should win. But Kloster Halfen also, she's not quite as experienced as these other women. She likes to make some aggressive moves. Maybe Colt Quigley sits and kick, kicks on her. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I agree she's the favorite, but I'm not counting out uh, the kick of Colleen Quigley. And Quigley won this race last year, correct? That's correct. So well, yeah, I'm, I'm I mean, counting them because it's their first race of the year. Had they run a race before last year? Like, I don't understand why you show up at the Wanamaker Mile. Probably your only indoor race of the year, and you're going to run it without having done anything else before. I just don't get that. Um, I mean, yeah, looking at the I don't, I don't see any do. races from her last year before this. She might oh, have well, run one. Maybe she went. But folks, again, I'm going with my gut instinct. There's not a lot of research for this podcast for me. This is Robert Johnson speaking. Can we speaking of the stable of runners? In the Bowman Track Club, I, 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 I guys, I listened to the. I finally actually this morning read, excuse me, the transcript of your interview with Shelby Hillahan. Now, John, you're a really smart guy. So, how much faster do you think you read than like you listen to a podcast? There's like a, isn't there like a set ratio that's sort of accepted? Because I, I time long <laughs> for me to read it. Thirty minute interview, right? I have no idea, Robert. Folks, this is why we type out things. I people don't understand this. People are like they think that let's run is madness, and there's no thought behind it. There is thought. One of our biggest goals is to get easy and to save you time to be a track and field fan. Yes, you people are like from now on. If you ever say Google something on the message board, that thread will be deleted. If someone asks a question and you say Google it, yes, they could Google it, but that would take them longer than asking it and having some expert answer the question. One of the goals of Let's Run.com is to save you time. Yes, you can spend four to five hours every day and find the same links that we find on our homepage, but we pay someone to find those links for you to save you time. So I read that your transcript was shipped in the interview last week on last week's podcast because I wasn't on the interview and it took me 11 minutes to read a 30 minute podcast. So that was pretty good. But can we come up with a lie of the week? You guys asked her which of the Bowerman Track Club members are most fit. And she's like, Quote, I think everyone's really, really fit. It's kind of could be anyone on that day. Mario is a really good 10K runner and a marathon runner. So everyone's pretty strong. Courtney's good on grass. So as is Carissa. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we haven't given her enough praise in this podcast. Like her last 700, how much time did she put on them, John? Like she Nine seconds, I think. 30 seconds. 
Well, she, she, yeah, let me, I mean, she put nine seconds on Huddle, who was second place, but, you know, there was a four-woman pack, really, when she made her move with about, you know, 800 to go or so, and, you know, first place was Houlihan in 32.47, then nine seconds back was Huddle in 32.56, another second back was Marielle Hall in 32.57, and then Alphine Tuliamuk in 33.04. So she put 17 seconds on Tuliamuk, who is a marathon, half marathon type. So makes sense. But she, I mean, she blew him away. It was totally, uh, it was totally disgusting. It was so, I mean, and disgusting in a good way. It was, it was just incredible. It was as if, you know, it reminded me of, of a poor man's Mo Farah in that he has the range to run a 328-1500, but also be the world champion at 10,000. I don't think Shelby could be the world champion at 10,000, but the way she just sat on them, I was just like, this is Molly Huddle has been the best American 10,000 runner, you know, of her generation. One of the best ever. She's an American record holder. She was trying to break Houlihan. She couldn't do it. And then Houlihan just blew her away. It was crazy. Yes. Yeah. It was impressive. I mean, Robert says, calling it the why of the week. I mean, somewhat facetiously, I think, but she was running her first 10 K, you know, she, she's probably used to dusting everyone in the team and shorter stuff. And, I guess maybe she should be able to tell in the longer stuff how she's doing compared to them, but it was uncharted territory and she just smoked them. It was so yeah, impressive. We, we, we need to I mean, we give props to David Epstein here, sports gene. Her mother's a 235 marathoner. You know, she started out at 800, but apparently, I mean, the crazy thing is when I read that interview, it's like, oh my God, like she made this huge jump to the 357. Now, I always debated as a coach, like, is this dominance of the U.S. Cross Country Championship? Is she at a new level from last year, or is her cross country level just catching up to that three fifty seven? So we don't know, but we'll pretty much find out in Uganda, I think. But I, I got a text from my friend Brian Fulham, who's a if she runs runner. worlds, you guys think she'll run worlds? I, sure run so. I really want her to. I, I do too. There's some thread, you know. Do you guys see the thread? They're like, we know what's happening. How many days till she pulls out of worlds? I think she'll run it. Worlds outdoors aren't until October. Why wouldn't she run it? That's I the thing. I, I want if she doesn't run. Poem, I want a good excuse. I want a good reason. Why is, why is, and you know, I'm probably not going to get this, but I would love to know if she's not running world cross, what is Jerry Schumacher's reasoning for not having her run this race in March when world's on until October? Thank you, John. He should apologize to American fans and to Nike. If she doesn't run this race, it's a disgrace. If she doesn't run it, honestly, like unless you're going to run the first Doha meet and go for an American record or something in, in the diamond league. I mean, come on. But what I really like about show about Julian, I got this picture from my buddy Brian Fulham, who's a big podiatrist, and um, down in Tallahassee. And no, he lives in the Tampa St. Pete area. Yes. Tampa St. Pete. If you're injured, any runners you need a foot doctor? Brian Fulham. He's, he's friends with 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 Amal Saxena, who did my surgery and my Achilles and and Galen Rupp surgery as well, folks. Paul Ratcliffe surgery. These people know the you runners. Worked so my Brian Fulham, if you're on the East Coast, Amal Saxena, if you're on the West Coast. Anyways. He's, He's one of the picture. best author of Running Runner's Guide to Healthy Feet and Ink. Go ahead. Published author as well. So if you go to his practice too, there's a picture of Weldon and Paul Radcliffe in the lobby. Anyways, it's a picture with like 300 to go. And, I mean, Shelby looks like she's on another screen from, from Molly Huddle. She's got both feet in the air. But it's like what y'all talked about, I think, last week or put it on the, in the podcast. Y'all put a Twitter, a tweet in the podcast that I was reading. The interview with Shelby, her last 50 meters of the USA 5k last year and this USA cross country is amazing. It's like, it's like you'd think that she was running the 40 yard dash of the NFL combine. 
it's like unreal. She goes into full sprint mode for no reason. She's way ahead. She wants to finish it. So I'm fascinated to think what she could do at Worlds. She could be in like sixth place with 50 meters to go and still get like a medal. You know, if you think that Emily Enfield catching Molly Huddle at the 2015 Worlds was a big deal, I mean, Shelby could catch like three goals celebrating early because her last 50 is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in a running race. Yeah, but she's got it. I mean, World Cross is going to be that's going to be a hard full race up front. I mean, she's going to be. I think she's going to be tired at that point. And we've so, we've seen, you know, in some of the other races, it's just hard to summon that kick at the very end. Like World World Indoors, she ran the fifteen hundred. She wasn't even close. She couldn't use that kick at the end because the gap was too big. And I think that that's probably going to happen in, against some of these true ten k runners from from Kenya and Ethiopia. But I do think if it's maybe a really muddy or someone doesn't push the pace and usually someone does push the pace at you at world cross but you know she's there with 50 to go of course she's going to be in the hunt and it's gonna be interesting folks i mean we yes there's some great runners from africa don't get me wrong but shelby did run 1434 so you know she talked about she wants to set the the bar for americans at like 1430 1440 instead of 15 minutes you know there was only 12 women last year that broke 15 minutes but there's only six women that broke 1430 so there aren't going to be not all of them will necessarily run world cross, John. So uh, on her best day, I don't think there's that many of the women women in the world that can beat her. Now it's it's a 10k, which isn't her strength. I mean, I, I think an 8k would be better for her. 5k is certainly better. And it's a hilly course. It starts uphill. The 600 meters uphill. It's fascinating. On, in the week that was our weekly recap, if you haven't read it in Let's Run, we compared the 2002 USA cross country team, which got so world silver. Versus this team, the 2019 team, and they're very similar on paper. So the U.S. women, you know, world running has certainly progressed in the last 17 years, but I think they've got a real shot at a medal. Certainly the bronze. I mean, generally, Kenny and Ethiopia get the silver, the first two, and then the bronze is often there for the U.S. to be taken. But um, I think Shelby's got a really good chance at an individual medal as well. Well, I just, um, I just hope we get the chance to see it. I'm shocked you're saying that, Robert, because usually. I don't know. I feel like the w- American women just aren't competitive. It, I guess we have had medals with Huddle. I mean, excuse me, with Flanagan and Dina Castor and even Colleen DeRuck. But I feel like recently, I guess we've had, you know, Kara Goucher and what, infield on the track. So I shouldn't dismiss America's chances at 10K. But we've been so overmatched at 5K recently. I just feel like it's a new era and we, would, we should have no shot at a medal. But Huddle, I mean, excuse me, Houlihan looked great. And my favorite thing of her final 50, her final 700, actually, she never once looks back. I mean, I, I would, I don't know. I guess I was never winning a cross-country race. I don't think I ever won a cross-country race in my life. Um, I, oh, you never take that back in middle school. But she never looked back, and she just poured it on at the end. It was It's a thing of beauty. So yeah. thank you, Shelby Houlihan. And if you missed it, she was our podcast guest last week. I think it's definitely still relevant. She sort of talked about her breakout year. So somehow, if you missed the podcast last week, check that out. And speaking of guests, we have a guest for this week, and that is Scott Simmons, coach of the top five men at USA Cross Country. But before we got get to Scott, does anyone have any final parting comments on Milrose or track or anything else? One final comment. Where are the Bowman Track Club men? There are no Bowman Track Club men entered at Milrose. They have Evan Jager, Matthew Centrowitz, Ryan Hill, Sean McGordy. 
where are these guys? They're not running. I haven't seen them run any races this year. What's going on with these guys? It's a great question. That's great a great thread, John. You should start that thread. I think I think we need to start yeah, that thread. Derek, when you see him for a marathon, why did he run U.S. Cross? He's normally good at it. Very good question, John. That's why we pay you the big, big, big bucks. You know, we 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 bought you your Super Bowl tickets as a perk. Just kidding, folks. We did not do that. But Robert Mike bought me a beer at the Super Bowl. I'll give him credit for that. Venmo. Yes, folks. John is such a good employee. Actually, he's a contra, folks. Massachusetts State Attorney General do not come after us. <laughs> um, that he asked, he's like, "Can I have Saturday off?" Like, this is a guy that works weekends without even asking for it. It's amazing. So he could go to the Super Bowl. I said, "John, I think I'd be in the boss John, hall, asshole." John said his own hours. You should know he could have Saturday off. Anyways, I'm excited that Usain Bolt's comeback has begun unofficially, but I want to give a shout out to the staff Berlin meet, and we hope to have more on this. They got 12,100 people to show up for an indoor track meet that basically had like very few good events. It blows my mind. The, they had a mascot race. They had an indoor discus race. They had some 60s and 60 hurdles, pole vault, long jump, but amazing. So we here in America pay our USATF CEO a million dollars a year, and we don't even really have meets indoors here. That he has anything to do with, and in, in Germany they have a, a meet that the outdoor is top Berlin meet is even part of the Diamond League, and they get forty five thousand. So, whatever you guys are doing there and gals, it's amazing. And can we hire you at USA? I was thinking about this. You know, if we just canceled, like, got rid of the CEO position at USATF, instead just use that one million dollars, we could broadcast like every track meet in America for free. It'd be amazing, right? You wouldn't have to pay $15 to watch whatever you want to watch. So that's my tip for the day if you're on the USATF board. Thank you. Well, thank you for that tip, Robert. Um, so should we just end it with the Scott Simmons interview? Or Robert, do you want to guess what he talked about afterwards? Okay, I have a few questions. These are the questions that I wanted. Again, for the second week in a row, I was putting the child down to sleep. I didn't, I didn't participate in the interview, but I sent them a list of questions I wanted. One is... Ask me if you ask these questions, and then you know I can whet the appetite of the people that are going to listen to this interview. I really wanted to know, and this is sad. I mean, they, they took the top five spots, and I think it's amazing. And I wrote the week that was. I'm the one that praised him in the week that was. I said it really bothers me that if an American coach recruits an American runner like Oregon and Andy Powell recruits, you know, all these runners. Actually, he recruited a lot of Canadian runners too, Edward Cheswick, etc. They get a lot of praise and they're the best coach in the world and blah, 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 blah. And Mark Wetmore is amazing because he he develops all this talent. Oh, wait, he recruited Ethan Ritzenheim as a footlocker champion and Adam Goucher, a footlocker champion. And, you know, people, top coaches recruit. But if an American recruits a white guy and he does well, it's like, oh, he developed him. But if you're a coach and you recruit an African, you're cheating. I don't, I don't understand that. So hopefully you sort of, asked him a, a question along those lines. Does he feel like he's taking a shortcut? But my main question is like along those lines is not every Kenyan American or even Kenyan that's great in high in college is great as a pro. I really want Robert Cheshire is a guy that I really want to know about. He's Bernardo Gotch's brother. He ran 13-13 in college. He was amazing. And now he's never done anything as a pro. So did you ask him about that? Yes or no? Yes. Oh good. So I'm going to have to listen to it because I almost didn't even listen to Shelby until today. And my second question is, and this is sad. I have to say this, but this is, this is how jaded I am about the sport. 
I talked to two coaches. I'll just put it that coaches. But if I said their names, you would definitely know who they are. And not recently, but in the last year, sort of the the success of the Scott Simmons groups came up. And both these people said, do we know they're clean? How do we know they're doping? Why are these guys going to Kenya to train? It's easy to dope in Kenya, blah, 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 blah. I said they're going to Kenya because they're originally born from there. And they probably have families from there. And these people were not buying it. One of them actually thought they had heard some things, but they were basically like, look, I don't believe this group is legitimate. So did you ask? It would be hard to ask someone that question, but did you ask any questions about, you know, drugs? It's first We did. And, and John couched it by saying, "My boss asked me to ask this question." Okay, I told John to blame me. Blame me. I actually didn't think it'd be thought, that hard. I could have asked it much easier. I thought Scott's answer was uh, he had he made some interesting points. I'll say that. Not, I didn't agree with everything he said, but I think he made some stuff that will make you think. I thought his response was very interesting to that his drug question. Response was great. So there you have it, folks. You've got to listen to the next 45 minutes of the interview. Or you can read the transcript. Weldon, are you going to make the transcript available? Available. We, have, we may have to pay our Indian $1 an hour person to transcribe the transcript. No, it's actually a bot. That is a bot. Oh, it's a bot. So we've replaced our Indian. There's a joke, people. But, folks, all of our jobs are going away. I was just reading, John. I hope you don't take offense to this, but I was reading about that like 30% of the Reuters jobs are now by a bot. So... This may be John's last podcast. We could be replacing him with a lot. What if we had like a sexy female voice, British accent? We wouldn't need John. I don't know how I could compete with that. Sexism right there. We didn't even get to. Next week, we're, okay, I'm, I am right now. I promised weekly podcast. This is number four. I'm making a promise next week. We will have user audio. We have not had user audio for two weeks. We had a guy call in. I've been saying use his audio for two for two weeks, haven't used it. We're using that, and we're going to have threads of the week. So yes. until then, if you want to do the audio, call 844-538-7786 or 844-LET'S-RUN, and you can leave your message, or you can go to the message board. I think there's a, there's a link to it to leave a message. Yes, so leave us your audio. But until then, here's 45 minutes with Scott Simmons. This is Weldon Johnson signing off. I will be live in New York with Jonathan Galt this week with full-fledged Milrose coverage. Until then, goodbye. All right, everyone. We're joined by a special guest. The Hey, in my book, the top men's distance running coach in America right now. His guys went one, two, three, four, five at the USA Cross Country Championships this past weekend. We're joined by American distance coach Scott Simmons. Scott, welcome. Hi there, guys. How are you doing? We're doing great. And I assume you're doing pretty well. Uh, how would you say that this weekend's you know, past championships went for you? Largely, it went the way that we prepared for. You know, we really took a, a, a serious look at the entire 2019 calendar. And uh, obviously, with, uh, with Doha being so late in you know, late September, early October, um, it really opened up the time for us to be able to take a full head-on approach to cross-country, which is something that I've always believed in, being a former coach and being a uh, um, having, having somebody like uh, Coach Joe Vigil be a mentor for me, who, who also strongly believes that uh, that running cross-country makes you better at whatever you do on the track. We 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 took that approach and, and seriously prepared for it. Didn't just wing it. Um, been preparing for months for for what the course is in Tallahassee, and 
obviously now we're going to make the transition to, to preparing specifically for what the course and the competition will be in, um, in Aarhus, Denmark as well. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's great that you guys send pretty much, I mean, I know Paul Chalimo, uh, who I would say is the best guy in your group. He didn't run USA Cross, but pretty much everyone else did. And I think that's just, you don't see that from a lot of uh, groups this day, these days. You did on the women's side with Bowman, but on the men, yeah. I don't think Bowman sent anyone. It's just, you know, I, I think World Cross Country, if every country sends their best team, it has the potential to be sort of, you know, the best race in the world. And no, you know, not every country always does that. So I think it's a cool thing that you guys are, are into it. And I totally agree with you. It really is the best foot race in the world, world cross country. You get your marathoners, 1,500-meter runners, steeplers, everybody. And it, it just makes it uh, truly a, um, just a great foot race. And that's what the sport is all about. If you look at the the teams that, I mean, Ethiopia and Kenya, even if they don't send the best of the best, they're still going to send some really good guys like Jeffrey Camor, or I think Uganda is going to have Joshua Cheptegei and Jacob Ch- Kiplimo, who are both you know, absolutely outstanding runners. Ethiopia has won, I think, the last three editions, maybe. They definitely won last year. Uh, I guess I'm curious is you've talked about you guys want to shoot for the podium as a team, uh, and you guys have you have five of the six members of the U.S. team. Uh, Mason Furlick is the other, and and then you have Shadrach Kipchirchir, Leonard Correa, Emmanuel Hillary Bohr, um, and Stanley Kabene, uh, they're all your guys. I mean, do you think that it's possible that you guys could beat Ethiopia or Kenya? I mean, is that something you guys think of in the back of your mind, or is bronze the best you can realistically hope for at Worlds? Well, I mean, we could still be bronze and still beat Ethiopia and Kenya, potentially, just because a race is a race. Um, but, we're yeah, we're going to go in there to try to medal. That's, that's the goal. It's a World Championship event, and we're going to prepare our best, and we're going to give it our best. And you know, anything can happen, especially when, you know, your roster is limited to six, you're, you know, who, who, whatever country lines up six guys and, and the race is on. The course itself, it's very different than the one you guys ran in Tallahassee this past weekend. Uh, it's, it's got hills, it's got mud, it's got sand, it's got a beer tent even, which I think is going to be pretty awesome. How exactly, like you've spoken about, you're going to change the training a little bit. How exactly do you prepare to run that course? And do you feel like that course gives you an advantage at all versus some of the other countries compared to, you know, the last edition in Uganda? I think it does. Um, Uganda, you guys were there. You, you recall um, it was a flat course. It obviously, was in a, it was in the middle of Africa, different, different uh, weather conditions. And if you recall, that race just went out blazing, blazing. Actually, uh, our slowest athlete through the first K and 2K was Sam Chalenga, who ended up being our top athlete just because there was so much destruction on the front of the field because of how fast it went out. I don't think that will be the case in, in, in Denmark. Um, the first four to 600 meters is actually uphill, and that's the recurring hill on the 2K loop. So. Um, it'll be different. It'll be it'll be more of a cross country race. Um, it'll be tough. It'll be cold. Um, so you know, in, in 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 the way that we're preparing for it, and we are making a big transition in, in terms of the surfaces we're training on and the incorporation of hills um, as we move forward from 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 Tallahassee to, to to Denmark. We will we will specifically prepare for it and give it our best. Sort of looking at your. I don't know, team as a whole, the performances this past weekend, 
I mean, you went one through five, but sort of individually, did anyone stand out for you? I mean, Shadrach got the win at his first cross win, but did, you know, would you say anyone underperformed or overperformed or things? I don't know. I mean, you see these guys all the time. Do you have a, is there a pecking order in practice and it's different in the races or how did you see the performances this past weekend? You know, I, I think, uh, you know, with the exception of, of B.S. Mbasa, who, who we thought would be in the top six in some order with the other five guys, with the exception of him just having an off race, finishing 12th, um, I think pretty much what we've seen in training is, is really the way that, uh, that, that it kind of played out. Um, Emmanuel Bohr has, has continued to improve over the last two years. Uh, to a level um, where you know he's got the confidence that that uh, that he wants to give it a shot to win, you know, to win a national title as well, and 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 make a you know make a world team as opposed to a Pan Am team, and and he's getting there, and, and I think you saw that in, in the competition where, you know, what was it 600 meters ago, all five guys were together, and and you, you recall the the, the finishes is generally downhill and then very sharply downhill, you know, over the last 200 meters. And, and, uh, you know, we've seen Shadrach has really developed his kick. Um, and, and Shadrach's at the level that he's challenging Paul for, for, for road championships at 5,000 meters. So obviously Shadrach's kick has improved quite a bit. Emmanuel's finally gotten the strength that, that he's never had over the course of his college or, um, post collegiate career and and is certainly applying himself in a way to to challenge for 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 the for the title as well as the medals. Um, you know, uh, just uh, just a short year ago, um, Leonard Career's kick was considered one of the best in the world. Um, whether it was in uh, um, uh, Edinburgh cross country or the Houston half marathon or multiple road races, the U.S. cross country championships against Rupp last year. Um, Lenny, you cannot count him out and you can't kick his, can't, can't count out his kick at the end of the race either. That being said, Hillary Bohr did outkick him in Sterling, um, just back in January and, and, and Stanley Cabeni, you know, um, uh, super strong. He's the one who pushed the pace of the U.S. 5K championships in New York that set up the race for, for the duel between, uh, Shadrach and, 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 and Salimo there. So, um, you know, they all came through in the way that we prepared, for sure. Um, and you know, now our goal is to is, is is to be able to do that at the at the World Championships, and to be to be able to work together as a team as well, which I think was a big factor this past weekend, where um, you know those five guys all took turns at some point at the front to push the pace and open up the gap, and to seriously make uh, make other people hurt and that's what we did we made it hard we made it a hard race last year um leonard and rupp came through the first mile in 440 and they ran i think 29 15 29 20 something in there um but uh our intent was to get off the line quick to push it to push it hard through the first mile and i think they came through in 425 which um which really set the it set the the table for for the competition um garrett Heath went with us um uh, tough, as you know, tough as nails, cross country runner. Um, but uh, it really did take his toll, and and it did on 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 a lot of the field. And and you know, from our standpoint, um, even though as we just talked about the the the, the course in Aarhus is, is a different kind of course, I, I think I think it's still helping us 
perform better in that meet than, than we did two years ago. Yeah, Garrett Heath, twenty third place, really did take it take its toll. Was was that part of the plan, just to push? And you thought you could break the race open, or why take it out so hard if it worlds? It's not. It's a totally different type of race. Well, first you got to get people on the team for worlds, right? And Tallahassee was the way to get there. And 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 you know, with with really such a good men's field, I know the women's field was was remarkable and maybe one of the best that, that we've seen in a long, long time. Uh, the men's field was, was extremely tough too. I mean, Scott Fobble, um, Ben True, Garrett Heath, um, you know, uh, uh, the list goes on and on with some extremely talented athletes who have had success on a very high level. Um, you know, you start that race, there's no guarantees, you know, there's no guarantee that we get anybody on the team. And, and I think our, our, our strategy was to, was, was to push it, and make it not honest, but make it harder than honest. And and if you can hang there, then 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 you'll be there. If you can't, then then you won't even be in the race. And I think that's what we saw by the by the last two K, um, or even just after halfway, um, the race had had broken open, and nobody was going to catch that pack of five. And then it just became a, a race between those guys. Now, one of the things I'm sort of interested in is uh, and we talked about it in the week that was this week is sort of the improvement that you, you guys have made and i think the, the the maybe casual fan might just look at the results and think oh man these guys were all stars before they got to the u.s they they came in here and got their citizenship and of course they're dominating and that's really not the case i mean many of these guys improved a lot in college and even some of them weren't you know, Emmanuel Bohr, Hillary Bohr, they, they were decent college runners, but certainly not, you know, winning national championships. I guess I, I'm wondering, how do, how do you develop them? How do you get, what sort of things do you do to get them to improve uh, from where they were in college? Well, Jonathan, my, my philosophy is about improving all of an athlete's abilities all the time. So we're looking at aerobic development, we're looking at strength, we're looking at speed development all the time, year round, all the time, to an appropriate degree. Obviously, we can, we'll have more of a focus like what, like we do right now on strength, not so much speed development per se. Um, but if you really look at the long-term process of development, which is what we do, then you're going to really discover what the potential of the athletes that you, that you coach are. And there are some other coaches in the United States who are doing a really good job doing that too. They're taking athletes where they find them. They come out of college they've had some success or they haven't had a great success. Um, they've been mediocre or they've been NCAA champions. But regardless, um, if you, if you just, you know, stop for a second and say, okay, this is going to take some time and we need to make sure that we focus and develop every aspect of the individual and take our time to do it. Um, especially with a young athlete in their twenties, we're going to be able to get there eventually. And, you know, you asked me the question, um, who was who was the you know outstanding um, uh, performance for us um, in Tallahassee? And to be honest, it, it was Franklin Tanui who finished 11th. Um, I think in club cross country he was he wasn't even 11th, and we didn't run even half of our guys there. Uh, and for him to be able to get up there and, and, and finish just out of the top 10, you know, as a I don't honestly I don't even know. I, I, I know it's our top five guys with their best cross country performances were in college. Lenny, I think was probably the best. I think he was third or fourth, but I think everybody else was like, you know, barely in the top 20 if they were in the top 40. Um, 
I don't think Franklin was even close to that at all. But for him to finish 11th here is a great indication that we're moving his fitness and his long-term development in the right direction. And he's a steeplechaser, so he's going to he's gonna add to that event on the track. And, you know, um, good to see Mason Furlick, a steeplechaser, finish as well as he did, too, which uh, the, the American steeplechase, is, uh, there's no playing around anymore. And I think if anybody is weak in the U.S. championships in any way with an injury or lack of training, then there are, there are plenty of people who are willing to step it up and be – take those spots and, and, and compete on the world world level. And, you know, Mason Furlick's one of those. Franklin Tanui, I think, will be one as well as, as, well as uh, quite a few other guys. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, going off the improvement of, of a guy like Franklin Tanui or some of the other guys in your group, I mean, there are some guys like Paul Chalimo has improved leaps and bounds. from, And he was a good college runner, you know, two-time NCAA runner-up at 5,000. But he wasn't someone who graduated and you thought, this guy's going to be winning Olympic medals. And yet he no. got the Olympic silver back in 2016. But then there are other guys, you know, you've coached Lawi Lang, Robert Cesarek. These, those guys had a ton of success in college, look destined to be future stars and maybe haven't done as much on the pro level as people expect. What, what do you think, I mean, what is the key for a guy like Chalimo to improve and someone like Lawi Lang or Robert Cesarek doesn't? Is there a difference? What, you know, how, how does that happen? Well, I think the reason for for the improvement is is, is really long term development, staying healthy, and progressing everything. Um, I think with I think with uh, with with Lawi, I think it's too soon to to make that determination because he's just one year out of basic training, which means he's one year um, out of just being completely unfit um, because you lose fitness when you go to basic training because you have to do everything that everybody else does. Are, are you great at the two mile run? Yes. But you can't run more than two miles, so you know you come out not in, not in great shape. And, and you know I, I think I think with Robert it's the same thing too, where, where Robert was really focused on uh, taking the, the the career course to some degree, like Sam Salanga. Robert's a captain now; he's, he's gone to OCS, and that you know that for him was 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 the the larger commitment. And he ran well; he made you know quite a few. Um, lower level team USA's during his time with WCAP, um, you know, back at cross country and, and, and the list goes on. Um, but I really think it's, it's the motivation of the athlete and, and just really having the opportunity for long-term development and not rushing it. And most importantly, doing things specifically to ensure athletes stay healthy. Yeah. Sort of, I don't know. When you bring these guys in, like Emmanuel Bohr, he was running 14.03 two years ago. I mean, he had some success in college, but not really. Do you just throw them into the fire? I mean, I assume recruiting athletes isn't as hard now, but like, there's no way Emmanuel can be brought in and just start running with these other guys. So how, how do you bring new guys into the program? Well, so two things to your question. First of all, I, even as a college coach, I didn't recruit. I'll be honest with you. I never did a home visit in 20-something years of being a college coach. And I don't recruit here either. I, I just don't. And, and regardless of Army athletes or, or, or Nike athletes like, like Stanley Cabene, it's, it's been their self-recruitment that has brought them to this group and has invested them in this group because it's a self-investment. Um, what was the second part of the question? Just once, once somebody comes in, like Emmanuel Bohr wasn't sure, having that sure, great sure, sure. much success, yes. or um, yeah. Franklin Tanui, same thing. Like, how do you start incorporating them 
you know, you can't bring you, a fourteen minute guy in exactly. and throw in with Paul Chilimo and expect good results. Exactly. So you start exactly where you're at. You start at whatever square you're at is where you start and you take the next logical step in terms of intensity, in terms of volume, in terms of strength, in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, biomechanics. You start exactly where the athlete is at and you take the next logical step. Um, you can't you can't leapfrog. You can't jump in. You know, if, if, if you're Emmanuel Bohr three years ago, you can't jump in to a workout with Paul Salimo because you're not there. You have your workout that is developmental for you in terms of volume and intensity, and you need to be patient and you need to take your time and it's going to take time to get there because you can't trick the body. The body's going to adapt the way the body can adapt. And we want to be most efficient and and we want to get there quicker than later, but you can't rush it. If you rush it, you you end up with, with, with injuries, you end up with lack of develop, de- development, you just got to take your time and it's going to take as long as it can take. And, you know, unfortunately, if, 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 if you're already later in your career and you don't have that time to develop, then you might not get that development. And that's, that's unfortunate for, for a lot of athletes. And, you know, um, with regards to Emmanuel and, and the Army's WCAP program, they, you know, their standard is the world standard. And you're absolutely right. He did not have the world standard. Neither did Hillary Bohr before he made the, you know, in the years before he made the Olympic team. Um, but his success, you know, being a full-time soldier in the Army and being a part of the American Distance Project before he, he, he became a, was accepted into the WCAP program, um, that's that transition from full-time soldier training part-time. And, and when I say Hillary is training part-time, he was training so part-time that he would, we would still do our workouts in the morning, but he would have to leave the workout immediately and could not warm down and had to go to, to his position on, on, on post. Um, <laughs> fortunately, those things have changed, and you've seen a, a big change in his, his, his strength o- over the years. But it just, it just takes that time. And, and with Emmanuel um, and a few other athletes in the program, I was able to convince the, the boss to – temporarily provisionally allow some athletes into the program who did not have the world standard, but that we felt could get the world standard if they were given the opportunity over the course of 18 months. And Emmanuel is a great example of that. Otherwise he would, he would have continued to do his normal job in the army. I believe he was stationed in either Alabama or Texas and being there, there was just no way he was going to be able to progress from, from his mediocre results in, in college. The army was wise enough to say, okay, We'll give him an 18-month opportunity, and if you can do it in 18 months, then you might have a chance to be an Olympian, and you might have a chance to medal, and that's the goals of the WCAP program. So, yeah, I guess sort of you're talking about, I think a lot of people don't understand that how the team is sort of made up, because we talk about a team like it's one group, and now you guys train together, and but at the same time, some guys are in the Army, some guys are in the Army, but not in the world-class athlete program, and then some guys are yeah. outside of the Army. Um, is, I don't know. Could you give us like an overview of that? Or is that hard to sort of manage, you know, even like the, the guys this past weekend, I assume the army guys are all, all the top five. So that would be, I guess, Stanley well, and Shadrach are not in the army, right? Yeah. They're, they're sponsored by Nike. Um, Shadrach was in the army. Um, he finished his commitment. He's out of the army. Um, Stanley was never in the, was not in the WCAP program. 
But the other guys are all in WCAP now, or some of them are just regular army hoping to get in WCAP. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. So like a guy like Emmanuel yeah. sounds like just join the army on his own. It's like, I want to get in this program. Yeah. 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 Both him, both Emmanuel and Hillary joined the army. They went to basic training. They got deployed to, to wherever they were serving at the time. Fortunately, Hillary was actually posted here at Fort Carson. Emmanuel was, was, was elsewhere. Like I said, I think in Texas, um, just doing their full-time jobs, you know, with Hillary, he was able to kind of, uh, follow along with what we were doing with the, with the current WCAP athletes and, and, and other athletes and, and got a bit of a break before the Olympic trials and got a little bit more training. And I mean, honestly, I mean, he, he made the team probably he progressed to 825 shape. I don't think he ran 825 in the trials, but um, he didn't need to, he just needed to be top three. And then from there progressed after that. So yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a mix, but it, it's certainly a mix from that standpoint. But then also, if you take a step back and you look at the entire group, which, which encompasses even more athletes than we're talking about and even more diverse backgrounds than we're talking about, we've got two native Americans, we've got a Peruvian, you know, we, you know, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's a pretty large group, but it, when you take a look at it, you see that it's, it's more of a village. It's more of a family and it's, it's so self-supported and, you know, for any group to send, we had 10 athletes who raced last weekend, 10, 10 guys who wanted to make the team for the world championships and only six are going to go. Um, nobody in that top, nobody in that 10, is upset that that somebody else made the team and they didn't, and I I think that speaks tremendously to to the training dynamic that we have because the athletes who are attracted to this program know that if they're a part of it, they're going to improve and they're going to maximize their performance, and they're happy for each other, and and we have a WhatsApp um, group text message thing and. It doesn't matter who's racing, what weekend, where they're at, who they are. After after that guy's cross-country race or half marathon, marathon, 1,500 meters indoors, everybody gets on there and says, good job. Good job, Julius. Good job, um, Franklin. You know, good job, Evans. And and they, they're just so supportive, and it's not cutthroat. And, you know, intentionally, I – really try to avoid head to head to head to head to head competitions because, you know, only one can win, you know, it's like Highlander. There can only be one. And it's unfortunate that, you know, Stanley Cabeni would have won the, the U S cross country championships if Hillary and Leonard and Emmanuel and Shadrach hadn't, hadn't run, but he was fifth. Um, so we rarely do that. We do that in cross country for sure, because it's a team sport and there's a team outcome of making team USA. We do it at the U.S. 5K just because of where it is in the season. But the good thing is, like, when we make the transition to track, then we have three guys in the 10K. We have three or four in the steeple. We have three or four in the marathon. We have three or four in the 5K. We have got a couple in the 15 and a guy in the 800. So they're not competing head-to-head anymore. They're actually, you know, uh, competing for their own spots on Team USA. No. So there's something uh, my boss, Robert Johnson, wanted us to address on the podcast. I think, you know, when any group has a lot of success and you guys have won a bunch of national titles in recent years, put a bunch of guys on world teams, you know, you're sending five of the 
six members of Team USA running at World Cross Country or from your group, whenever someone reaches that level of success, there are going to be some doubters. There are going to be people maybe on our message boards who post, oh, they can't be doing it clean. They can't be doing it the right way. I guess I'm wondering what your response would be to them. How do you convince people that you know everything that you guys are doing is legitimate? I guess uh, a couple ways. Most of the athletes in our group are in the in the testing pool. Um, number two, we're in Colorado Springs, which is actually the home of USADA. So they're here. Um, so it's no problem for USADA to come knock on your door at 630 in the morning. Um, we've actually partnered with USADA. We brought our entire entire global group to USADA for, for education on on anti-doping and and um the philosophy and and the the reasoning behind anti-doping and and also the logistics of how how to keep yourself clean and how to avoid a circumstance where you might be tagged for for an unintentional uh violation um you know and then thirdly um every athlete in our program signs an anti-doping pledge and it's not just a pledge that i commit to to adhere to anti-doping rules but i also commit to call out teammates or a coach or anybody i know who is doing something that is that that that, that is against what, what what the rules are you know i i you know we we know that we know what the term gray area means my intention is for my athletes to be as far away from the gray area as possible you know what? Let's do it 100%. And and here's the reason why. It's about motivation. Why do you do what you do? Um, and I and I think if you look at um, and and this is what I do. I look at the motivation. Why do people dope? Obviously, people dope. They get busted. Why are they? Why why do they dope? They dope for three reasons. I think. I think they dope because of greed, because they want something that they can't have. I think they dope because of ego. I think they want again. They want something they they can't have naturally, and I, I think some people don't because they're just ignorant. They're not educated, or they're manipulated by other people. And if you look at global doping busts, I think those are the three reasons. So if you can address those three reasons, if if the reason your athlete wants to commit to the sport has nothing to do with greed, ego, or they're uneducated then I think you can curtail that. And, you know, you can't, you don't know what everybody does every day of the year. And absolutely, is is, is that a big fear of mine? Because, it, you know, if, if one person in a training group um, is implicated in doping, then, it, you know, it reflects on um, everybody in the group and the coach as well. Um, you know, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a really, that's a scary thing for, for, for anybody in, 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 in professional sports that, that tests like our sport does, you know, there are other sports that don't test like we do and they really don't seem to care. Our sport does care. And a doping violation is, is a, is a, is a really bad mark on, on, on that person and the people who are associated with that person. Yeah. Julian yeah, I mean, Edelman, NFL yeah. MVP was that's busted was for drugs mention. this year. Um, but some of your guys, you know, they go to Kenya and train with all that's going on in Kenya. It sounds like you're very confident that they're doing it the right way, but do they see stuff going on there that, that worries them? What do they think is going on with some of these athletes getting popped in Kenya? Well, they, so, so, so they look at the culture of Kenya and, and they see that it is a, it is a social economic 
culture that is ripe for, you know, for cheating, you know, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's not a first world country and, you know, winning a thousand dollars or $10,000 or a hundred thousand dollars is huge there. So there's a lot of motivation to, you know, to try to take a shortcut. And, and I, and, and this is why I said, you know, the third, the third motivation or the third reason for doping is, 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 is ignorance or manipulation. And, and I, and I really sincerely think that I think so many of the Kenyan athletes, top, top Kenyan athletes who have been busted for doping never needed to dope. If they never doped, their lives would have been almost as successful and certainly as financially successful. So there was, there was never any reason for that. And, and it's just, it's, it's just a shame that some people can be manipulated for that. And, you know, people, people do. There, there are, there are people in the sport. And again, we're not the richest sport in the world, as you guys know. Um, but, um, but there are some bottom feeders who are more than happy to, try to induce somebody to do something that, that, that is wrong in order to make a few more bucks or to order in order to make some bucks. We've gone on way too long. So, but I we still got a few questions. So maybe five more minutes, Scott, if you've got time, um, sure thing, yeah. you know, you're getting, we love talking about <laughs> drugs <laughs> and Kenya and all this other stuff. But, uh, well, even the drug thing you just said there, like, do you think drugs didn't help somebody like read a Jeptu or something? I mean, I feel like, People are like, oh, they'd be pretty good without him. But I'm like, yeah, with him, look what she did. I mean, she wasn't th that great beforehand. I feel, I don't know. Are you saying that you don't think they help? Is it sort of like the Renato Canova argument that they don't help the top guys that much? But then you see the list of people getting popped, especially on the women's side. And it's just like the who's who of marathoning. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting what you just said, particularly um, uh, athletes on the on the women's side, which I think, is, you know, um, I think there are people who are who are working hard to manipulate them more so. Um, honestly, I, you know, I mean, look, physiologically, let's just say biomechanically, a person cannot do something. I can't. I couldn't dope, and and you know, if I doped, I you know, although Flowtrack did say I was the athlete of the week, which is great. Um, I pointed that out to Shadrach. But if I doped, I still couldn't run 16 minutes five k. Um, not now. Um, but you know, there, there is ultimate potential and, and ultimate potential in terms of development if you do it the right way. And again, Rita Jeptu, of course, she still would be winning major marathons. She still would be winning. There's no doubt. There's no doubt she still would be, you know, would the doping help probably, or might make it easier. Do you know what I mean? Still, it just might make it easier and, and, and less hard work. Although I think a lot of dopers work very hard too. And I think that's where the doping comes from. They get frustrated. I can't get to the next level and I want to get, get to that next level. And I work so hard and I'm going to take a small shortcut and that's what that is. Right. I mean, yeah, Kenya is a completely different culture and sort of, let's get away from doping for a second. Cause we're over time, but sort of back to your guys, you know, your top five this weekend, we're all born in Kenya. And I argue that, them being Canadian American, you don't get the credit for the coaching. I don't know if you agree with that, but is there anything, I don't know, different with coaching a Canadian American guy or is it with a kid born in America or is it someone born at altitude is different than someone born not at altitude? How do you view sort of, or is it all the same? I'm just curious how you view all of your athletes, but sort of, I don't know, someone who looks at it and it's like, Hey, top five Canadian American. What's different about those athletes or is there anything different about them? Well, I, I like what you just said. Um, you, 
you refer to them as Kenyan Americans, like an Irish American. And do you know what the, 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 the most important part of that phrase is, is the American part of it. And I'm not kidding you in any way whatsoever. And actually I'm going to throw in Kenyan American army because the, the, the American education in, 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 in our, you know, all of these guys um, went through, you know, U.S. universities. Um, the majority of them were also trained in the U.S. military. And I, I, I honestly think that American education and that U.S. military um, uh, education contribute tremendously to, to, to realize what their true potential, true genetic potentials are. Um, I, I, you know, I, I cannot, uh, I cannot <laughs> emphasize that enough. It's the, it's the, it's the American part of that, that is really the reactive aspect that, that contributes to, 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 to their, to their, to their sincerity, to their dedication, um, to their consistency, to their consistency, because you guys can go back and look many, many, many talent, talented Kenyan athletes. And, and, and then the question two years later is where are they? We don't know where they are, but somebody else is new. And then two years later, where are they? Injuries or what have you, you know, things have happened and they're no longer on the scene at all where what you're going to see. And I think what you're seeing already, cause it, you know, it's been, it's, it's, it's been, uh, since 2011, 2012 that I've been coaching here in Colorado Springs is you see longevity in the careers of the athletes that I'm coaching. And for Paul Chileno, look at him. He's been healthy since leaving college. Absolutely healthy. Maybe a little something here or there that takes a week or two to, to adapt to, but continues to grow his aerobic base, continues to, to develop his speed, continues to aerobic, to, to develop everything. And I think that's the key. That's the key, really, is, 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 yeah, genetics. You know what? Drew Hunter has genetics. Come on. That kid ran faster. Drew Hunter ran faster than any athlete in my group in high school as a 16, 17, whatever year old. Um, he, he absolutely did. And, and so, yeah, do genetics matter? Of course they do. They matter for him. They're going to continue to matter for him and he's going to have a great career. But, you know, it's what you do with what you what what you have is what really matters, and 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 I, I really see that across the board. I see great coaches like Jerry Schumacher taking athletes who are good, good in good in college, some great, some good, and then then they turn over to the next level, and and who knew that they could be that good? It's a big surprise. It's not a surprise to Jerry. Jerry knows, looks at them, trains with them. Um, pays attention and sees what their true potential is and, and develop, develops them very well. And we saw that at U.S. Cross Country on the women's side, without a doubt. What separates Chilimo from your other guys? And you know, give me the 30-second answer if you, if you can, but sort of he can the other guys get to that level or is he just a level above? <laughs> he drives a Lexus SUV. I think that's what separates him mostly. Um <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, Shadrach has a Mercedes. Uh, how American is all that? Um, you know, and, and I, I, I don't see a separation. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I root for Paul to beat Shadrach, and I root for Shadrach to beat Paul. And just, I saw Dave Monty the day before cross country nationals, and I said, I don't know who's going to win. We're going to run well. I don't know who's going to win. And I was equally as happy to see Emmanuel challenge Shadrach to the line 
um, as I as I was anybody else. And were you so fast? Were you so shocked how fast those guys ran last year in the five k, the twelve forties? I think three, four guys, twelve forties. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another level, um, and so that's that informs what we need to do in training to get there for sure. Um, yeah, that's big. <laughs> that's big. Can Paul get there this year? I mean, or is the championship race a completely different matter? Well, the championship race is completely a different matter, so we prepare for that. Um, can he get there? Absolutely. Um, when? We'll find out. But he, he absolutely can get there. And, and we both know what he needs to do in training to get there, and, and we need the time and staying healthy to get there. All right. Well, I mean, I think distance fans have a lot to look forward to. We love cross country at world at let's run.com. World cross country is our favorite. Of, yeah. Are we going to see oh, you well. in Denmark? Yeah. I think we're right all on. going. It's going to be a beer party too. I mean, we all, you saw us all in Uganda. Denmark's a much easier trip. So yeah. 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 yeah I think sure. we'll be there. I think some let's run people need to go. There's like races for the people. So hopefully we can get a crowd yeah. over there to cheer the American team. And then yeah. after that, like you said, we got, you know, Doha to think about and yep. you know, what, what, what level of that podium can Chalimo get? And maybe some of the other guys can get on there as well. So thank, thank you for the time. This is very informative. Sure thing. Yeah, yeah. really appreciate yeah. it, Scott. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for, for your good questions. So Scott, we're at 40 minutes. We can cut it there, but we can always edit this. And I don't know if this will make the podcast or not, but I think people also would be curious about, you know, you're talking about coaching in college 20 years. I think a lot of people don't know your story. Could you sort of run through that real quickly? Like, I don't know, even like how you started in running coaching, how'd you got to this point today? You know, you know, what's, you know, what's so curious is, um, so when I ran, you know, I started running in middle school and high school and I really sucked. Somebody should have told me, stop, do something else, take up the piano, try something else. And it wasn't until my senior year in high school that I actually got a good coach. Um, his name is Gary Droz. He, he just recently retired from coaching at McClay um, High School in Tallahassee. He coached me at Choctahatchee, uh High School in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. But, like, you know, I got to see him last weekend. Hadn't seen him in a long, long time. And, um, you know, I absolutely went up to him and said, you know what, Gary, you changed my life. I never would have gone to college if, if he hadn't started coaching me the end of my senior year, my senior year in high school, like changed everything. I qualified for the state meet, was all state, got a scholarship to college, which, you know, nobody in my family had gone to college. So it, you know, it really just shows how running can change a life. And, and I've had athletes over the years who, who've had the same, the same experience where like run, you know, Fernando Cabada is a great example. Like running didn't change his life. Running cha- saved his life. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, for me, that's what's important in the sport is, 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 is that it makes you a better person, that it provides something for you, um, that you do it for the right reasons. And, um, so yeah, Gary Droz, uh, now he coaches at, uh, Tallahassee Community College. He was out on the course on, on Saturday. I got a chance to talk to him and I got a chance to sincerely thank him. Um, you know, it's been, um, you know, I graduated high school in 1985, so it's been a lot of years. But it was really, it was really cool to be able to, you know, sincerely say that to him and, and 
And he had his college kids out there and introduced me to them. And then we introduced the, you know, our athletes to his college kids. Such, such a great opportunity. And yeah. Um, you know, he, his, 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 his coaching really helped direct me in, in a, in a, in a direction that, uh, that, you know, made me who I am as a coach today, curious coach, self-learning, um, always, you know, educating myself, trying to be better, you know, always trying to be better. Even after this last weekend, it's like, you know, it was good results. It was good results, but, um, you know, what can I learn from, what can I learn from that competition that can make me a better coach in the future for my athletes? So, so you ran in college where? The University of South Alabama. And so then how did you get into coaching? <laughs> so, so honestly, I went to college to run cross country and track. I didn't go for the academic side of it at all. I eventually declared psychology as a major because it was easy. And then um, I actually started coaching when I was in college. I started coaching like a middle school team just down the street, um, which is, I think it's a good place for any coach to get their feet wet. And, and I, and I really believe that in terms of coaching, start out small and then, and then build up. I think coaches, who start out coaching professional athletes, they've missed something in the process of learning. Maybe they can catch it up later. I don't know. Um, but uh, started coaching then, became a graduate assistant coach after I graduated, pursued my master's degree and stayed as a, as a GA during that period of time and started coaching in small colleges. And small colleges are great because you get the opportunity to coach and nobody really gives a shit how your program does because you're cross-country at a small college basketball, football, whatever. That's what they care about. And they just let you alone. And then you can really focus on developing athletes and, and, and paying attention and learning. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I came from. Um, University of Mobile was my first head coaching job, uh, Southern Baptist College in Mobile, Alabama, Minot State University in North Dakota. Who wants to go coach in North Dakota? I did. Um, in three years, we won two national cross-country titles. I think that's Virginia when I first heard of you. Yeah, Virginia Intermont College, um, not open anymore. That's how small and how poor it was. It's not even open anymore. We won three more titles there in cross-country. Um, just small schools, you, you know. Um, you've got to learn somewhere, right? And and it's so funny because it was we were I was at. Uh, uh, the U.S. 10-mile championship just a couple of years ago. And in the tent after the race, and, you know, Shadrach, uh, I think Shadrach won, Lenny was second. Um, but it was just in the athlete tent afterwards, and these two guys come up to me. And and I didn't even recognize them, but they were two of my athletes from when I coached in, like, you know, 1987, 1988. And, and I said, you know, and they were so happy to see me. Of course, I was happy to see them, too. And I said, you know what? I apologize. I apologize that I was not the coach back then, but I am now. And, and they were like, no, you showed us so much. You taught us so much. And, you know, but still it's like, wow, <laughs> you could have been a lot better if I was a lot better back then. So, you know, it takes time. You know, you got to make some, make some mistakes on some athletes somewhere along the line because you learn more from mistakes than you do from success, I believe. And how did you make the jump from Queens to go coaching pros? So Queens was a Division two school, and I just 
really got to the point where um, <laughs> administrators and the NCAA did not have the best interest of the athletes that I was coaching and, and that, you know, came on scholarship or mostly on, you know, partial scholarships. I mean, they were paying to go to a private school and, and they weren't getting what I intended for them to get. And it just frustrated me so much that like NCAA regulations cut short or, or, or took away from their, their experience or what their experience should have been. And, and I just couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't honestly recruit um, a high school kid to come compete for me if I knew that they would not be, be allowed to compete in competition or, you know, something would, would prevent them from, from having the opportunity to, to train as, 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 as much as they sh- should and wanted to. And I just resigned myself. I, went to, I didn't go, go to my AD. I went to the vice president and just said, um, um, Vice President Ralph, um, um, I'm going to leave and uh, we'll figure out how we can make that work in the best interest of the current athletes that I have. There's never a good time to leave as a coach because, you know, freshmen, seniors, it's just, it's just, there's never a good time. And you can ask any into any NCAA coach now. You can ask the Powells at Washington. It's hard. It's hard to move. Um, but I just said, I'm just going to not do this anymore and just, you know, looked at the best place in, in the United States to train distance runners. In my opinion, it's Colorado Springs. Flagstaff is, gra- is great. Actually, Santa Fe to me was number two. Uh, Flagstaff is great. Mammoth is great. Um, other places are really great places to train at altitude. Uh, really thought it was Colorado Springs and just, you know, I quit a job that paid me money as a college coach and moved out here to create a job for myself that didn't pay me any money. <laughs> so um, kind of a self-investment, which is exactly what I asked for in, in the athletes that I coach, they invest in themselves and just, you know, get some time and some development and here we are now. Well, it's worked out pretty well. So now the army pays you, and do, what about the other guys who aren't in the army? Do they pay you individually? So the army, uh, I have a small contract with the army. I have a small contract with Nike, and I've, I've worked with a couple other federations that that pay, you know, here or there. That's sort of the American dream, and I think that's what your guys represent as well. Yeah, you're totally right. Thank you for saying that. Well, Scott, you know, 20 minutes of your time turned into about 45 or 50, but we appreciate it, and I assume everyone else does. All right. Well, again, thank you. Thank you for, for the good questions. They're, they're um, yeah. John, did you hear they that? Were, good questions. Yeah, no, thank yeah. you for answering them, and uh, we're looking forward yeah. to seeing, you know, hopefully see you in Aarhus. We will. We will. I just actually bought my ticket um, when my girlfriend's going to come with me. Um, we're going to fly into Copenhagen and, and then take a bus across a ferry to Aarhus. So I don't know how you guys are getting there, but <laughs> yeah, it's not my department. It's up to the the Johnson brothers Johnson. So we'll see. Travel planning. We're not, we're usually not, you know, on that too far in advance. So yeah. Give us yeah. Thanks again. Hey man, I, Great talking to you. I just got, I just got tickets for $800 today. So it's just saying. <laughs> Sounds like a good price. We'll look into that. Yeah, right on. All, All right. right. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Yep, thanks. Thank you. Have a good night. Bye.